Welcome to season five of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life back into your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and advocate, and I'm bringing topics that I hear from the service community and counseling room to the podcast, where we can face the challenges of this lifestyle together. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I am thrilled to bring a good friend of mine onto the podcast. Her name is Sierra. I've known Sierra for a couple years now, I think, Sierra, probably two or three years. I met her through the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. We um, got to do Mastering Your Marriage together, and then that turned into an empowered spouse retreat that we got to experience in Georgia together. Um, And it just kind of formed this really fun friendship. And I asked Sierra to join the podcast this season. I actually wanted to get her into last season. Um, but it was so full last season. So I'm, I'm really happy to have her in season five. But I asked her to join for a variety of reasons. One, she's just a fantastic person. Um, but two, she is a National Guard. Her husband is National Guard. And I do get questions a lot from people that are National Guard reserves or have asked me to cover what the lifestyle is like, or just kind of um, process it a little bit, maybe give some ideas and tips. And I'll be honest, Matt and I were reserves for a very short amount of time. And I hear and process with couples um, who are National Guard, but I really wanted to have Sierra join us instead to talk about what her life is like and what their marriage is like being National Guard and serving our country that way. So Sierra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yay, I'm so excited. It's like a fangirl moment. <laughs> I've been listening for so long, so it's been like, um, it's it, yeah, like a fangirl moment. <laughs> Well, but I mean, we're also friends and it's like, you know, we're just having a Zoom meeting, right? Is all we're doing over coffee, Um, a little bit of behind the scenes, but no, I really am excited to have you. Um, And so your husband is Cody, he's National Guard. And right before I hit record, you were saying today is a perfect day to do this episode because of some recent developments that he's going through right now, what you guys are going through as a family. So I think before we even get to that, do you want to kind of just share a little bit about how we met? through the foundation. Um, and we've had some really fun and wonderful um, opportunities to just kind of hang out together and um, get to know each other over those programs. So why don't you share a little bit of your experience um, of the foundation and what you guys did or what you got to participate in? Yeah, so we actually um, got to do the Master Your Marriage, the pilot program. We were chosen. What's funny about that is um, I was following Chris Kyle Frog Foundation on Instagram for a little while and saw that they were looking for schools in the area uh, for their pilot program and um, that they were only taking a select few. And it was just kind of one of those things where it was like register. And I was like, why not? Didn't even tell Cody about it. I was like, what are the chances? Um, Because there's so many, you know, military uh, around and I just didn't think it was going to happen. And then I got an email and it was like, oh, you're one of our finalists. And I was like, oh, crap, I probably should tell him now. <laughs> and so I told him and he was just like, I have no idea what you signed me up for. Um, and that's pretty much how we went into the retreat. We had no idea what we signed up for. Um, and it was probably one of the best things, um, definitely was one of the best things that we had done. Um, we went through that whole entire pilot program. Ashley had a busy time for us, too, um, because Cody got to help with Hurricane Harvey. Um, during that time, shortly after we went um, on the weekend. And so 
he was kind of um, in and out of our household for the next several months because in between Hurricane Harvey, he was also doing training um, to deploy again. And so that was such a crazy, crazy time um, for us because he was in and out and we were trying to do the Mastering Your Marriage program at the same time. Um, And then he deployed and then a few Months after he deployed or late that fall before he was expected to return, I got to go to the Empowered Spouse Retreat, which was such phenomenal timing for me because it was I, it was like basically a month-ish before he actually came home. And so it was just such perfect timing. It was right at the end of a deployment. And it was awesome because it was just everything I needed built up to that moment of, you know, going through a deployment with three kids at that time and then getting to take this time out for a few days. It was just such perfect timing. I look back on it and I'm so thankful for the timing of that because, um, you know, then he comes home and you go through this whole reintegration process and everything. So, yeah, so I got to do both of those programs and we're so thankful for the foundation, just everything that they do in general for military first responder couples. We've referred actually several couples that have gone through some of the different programs and stuff and they just love it. So super grateful for that experience for them too. Well, and I have to say that um, Cody was such a champ because first of all, he didn't know what he was signing up for. But second, um, Mastering Your Marriage is a six-month-long commitment to work on your marriage using curriculum um, throughout that six months in a small group that you're connecting with. And um, he was such a champ because he was doing that as best as he could even during the deployment. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we would not sign up for something um, as an individual or as a couple if we knew that we were going into a deployment are going to go through something difficult, um, on, especially on your marriage. And I'm so glad that you guys decided to try to do it anyways, because if you can't do it through a deployment, like, and you just never know when something's going to happen anyways, then I mean, when are you going to work on your relationship? Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was good timing too, because we didn't know he was going to be deployed when we actually signed up for the whole thing. And we didn't know he was going to, um, that he was going to get called out for Hurricane Harvey either. So it was just kind of one of those things where it just happened that we were having to do all this like homework in this time. And he really was a champ because even though he wasn't um, writing things down, we were able to talk about some of the stuff that, um, you know, go through the homework and talk about stuff. Even if it was in text message, it was still just being able to have a conversation and get on the same page about some things that we really hadn't considered. And so that was awesome too. Um, I think overall, the biggest thing for me anyway, that I took away from that whole experience was just kind of being in the same room with a bunch of military first responder couples and realizing how much we're not alone. Like a lot of the same, the same things that like we're kind of all kind of going through the same things, not same like issues or whatever. And cause every marriage is different, but that for military first responder marriages, we're really good at all the hard things, right? Really good about all the leaving and the coming back and the shift change and, you know, gone for 48 hours coming back. And, you know, we're good at all of those things and all the constant changing. It's, um, you know, I think it was um, one of the presenters that said it's the pee under the pillow that we're terrible at, you know, those little tiny things that like would make no difference to anyone else. But for us, it's like, ah, like, you're driving me crazy. Please stop moving my remote. It's been there for the last six months. Don't move it again. Those kinds of things. So it's just that's being in the same room with the people that are, it's like, yeah, that drives me nuts when he moves my remote after it's been there for eight months. You know, that kind of mentality and being together, that was 
so awesome. Well, and I love that you um, referenced, it's actually a fairy tale and um, it's actually the um, princess and the pea. So um, I remember hearing that growing up and I'm surprised how many people have not heard that fairy tale. And I was speaking one time and um, sometimes you hear it with the pea under the mattress. Sometimes you hear it the, the pea under the pillow. And I was delivering that in a talk one time and the whole audience laughed because they thought that I was talking about like a kid peeing on the mattress. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's-, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I totally lost everybody after that, you know? <laughs> no, but it's actually talking about like in the fairy tale, it's this, it's this great fairy tale about this princess who um, I'm trying to remember all the details of it, but somebody puts like a pea on like between two mattresses and they like stack all these mattresses up and she can, if she doesn't sleep well, because she can feel that one irritation between like <laughs> the first and second mattress, but there's like 14 stacked up, you know, then yeah. that's supposed to say something. And I think that what you're saying is right because we can handle often such big things and we're so used to handling big things that sometimes it's the little stuff that throws us off. And I just had this conversation. Um, I've definitely had it here in Leavenworth with the school district kind of educating teachers. Um, but it was another opportunity to speak with the civilian kind of world, um, and kind of outside the gates. And the question was given to me, like, um, what can they do better to kind of close that civilian military divide? Um, and, you know, of course we were like, oh, it's not just the civilian's job. It's our job too, to close that divide. But one of the biggest things that I've been saying to people is, you know, there's so much under the surface for, especially us as spouses, we're handling so much that sometimes we can come across a little intense and a little frantic, maybe even a little <laughs> desperate, especially if you're going through deployment, yeah. you know, and that one one little tiny thing, that one little remark, and it could be the, like, how are you? Right. <laughs> can totally like massive tears coming out and just, you know, or it can be yes. like, can I help you with that? Yes, you can. That one little, that one little comment or the other way, right. That That's one little true. irritation. I talked with another spouse recently who was saying that she just, you know, kindly asked somebody to not take her parking spot because she was there first, you know, and that spouse went berserk on her. And I was like, it's not just you. There's a lot of stuff on the surface. So it's, I, I like that you said that sometimes it's the little things that really get to us. And regardless, big things or little things, I'm so glad that you found that commonality in the room with those first responders as well. Was that new? for you, by the way, being National Guard. And we're going to talk here in a second about what it's like for you to be National Guard. But was that new for you to connect with first responders maybe in your area? Yeah, for sure. Well, so I, one of my best friends is actually first responder. She, her husband is actually a firefighter and, and my brother-in-law. So Cody's brother is actually a firefighter too. Um, and, and he's, um, also married and they have two little ones. So, you know, we're, we're kind of surrounded in that way. Um, seeing my best friend go through it, but on a larger scale, not being surrounded by friends or family. That was the first time I had ever been in a room with people that, yeah, going through the same thing as first responder, you know, military. So that was really awesome um, to see that many people kind of living the same lifestyle um, in a sense. So that was, yeah. And I think that's probably why it sticks out to me more is because it was the first time that I got to be around people, common people like going through the same things that we're going through. I think that's why it sticks out too, because I, that was the first time I actually got to be around like-minded people, um, you know, in that way. 
So let me ask um, about you being National Guard. Um, we haven't covered that a lot on the podcast. And so want, it's, it's a good moment to talk about what is your life like as National Guard? I'm obviously active duty. We move a lot. Um, National Guard doesn't. And I know for sure that National Guard definitely... Um, struggles with resources and struggles with feeling connected to the military community. But um, another big thing that I hear about is that a lot of people don't realize that National Guard actually deploys a lot. And I would even argue probably just as much as active duty does. And a lot of people wouldn't think that. Yeah, for sure. So um, the first year right after um, Cody got out of basic training, we, um, he was gearing up for his first deployment, just a few, like probably two or three months after he got out of basic training. Um, I remember we were talking with this other couple. I, I had gone to drop him off. So for us, for deployments, what they do is, um, you, when you, you go drop them off, for us, it's like a two or three day event to go drop them off because nine times out of 10, it's where it's away from our houses. So in this case, this was two hours away from where we actually lived. Um, and so what they do is they do like this dinner with families and they kind of, you know, have them march out and they do this kind of ceremony and changing of the colors and all the things. So for us, it's like a two day event to say goodbye. And it's kind of really, really difficult. Um, because you're basically just holding your breath for two days until you get that final goodbye. Um, and I remember talking to this couple and the guy was like, yeah, this is my ninth deployment. And I was like, holy cow. It was his ninth in seven years. And I just remember thinking, you know, getting in this experience for the first time thinking, holy cow, I just, can't even imagine doing that many in such a small amount of time. So that was really eye opening, just like hearing him talk about how many he had done. And now looking at it, we've been, um, Cody's been in for nine years now. And I would say, you know, he's done two really long, um, tours. Um, but he's had a lot of little things, um, come up where he did get to help with Hurricane Harvey, where he was gone, you know, a couple of months at a time. And there's just been a bunch of different missions where they do, they, it is kind of, they're kind of come go a lot. Um, and each time it's what makes it different, I think too, is, you know, even though they have to report on a Monday, they have to leave the day before to get there because they live so we live so far away. So it's not like he can just be driving through the night because then now he's missing out on sleep and, you know, they have to report so early um, to get there to get everything ready. So really he was leaving the day before he actually has to report so he can travel and get there. Um, it's just each time it's always just such an event um, that they go and, and even them coming home is such an event because I think for active duty, when they come home, they come home to the base. For us, he comes home to his base wherever he's at, and then we have to drive home. So it's like this whole like event each time. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's just, um, it's, yeah, it's such a spectacle sometimes to get there and to get through all of that. But yeah, we definitely do deploy quite often. Well, and I think um, there's a lot of people, myself included for a while there, that thought that, okay, National Guard means that you um, really only respond to what's happening in your state. And so what you're yeah. saying is that not only are you responding to the state, but you can also be activated and deployed just like yes. duty or actually just joining up with a lot of the active duty that are wherever yeah. they've been deployed to. Right, right. Yeah. So we fill in on a lot of places too. Um, I know that, um, so for their training, they do training two times 
for two weeks out of the year, which is usually in the summer. And so most often what that looks like for them is going and replacing another unit. So another unit has another active duty unit can take off for that two weeks. So basically we're going in there to replace them so they can be off. Um, and so, you know, their training for two weeks is actually two and a half weeks because then they have to train before and then they have to do brief after. And so it's just, it's so many things. And especially for deployments too, um, you know, they don't get to come home right away. Like I said, we have to go pick them up, but before we even get to go pick them up, they have to go to a separate place where they have to actually debrief before they even let them come back to the base before we can actually even pick them up. So this last deployment we did, it was so crazy because, um, they basically went to another base where they debriefed for like two weeks before they actually went back to their home base and then got to come home. So he was stateside for two weeks before we actually got to go pick him up. Okay. I want to respond to this because number one, I have, I don't, I have not personally experienced them debriefing for two weeks before. Maybe some of you guys listening have experienced that, but I was mad on the second deployment. I was mad because, um, Matt came home and they, we were in Georgia at the time they landed in Maine and because the Air Force crew needed to sleep. Like they couldn't go the extra leg to Georgia to, to finish and bring them home. So they had to sleep. So they had like an overnight in Maine. And I was so mad because his first like really good meal was in Maine without us. And I was, I had bought like steak and like all this great food thinking he had been deprived. And then he's out there having steak in Maine and probably crab cakes. And so you're like two weeks. Yes. Yeah, it was crazy. It was the longest. And what was frustrating about it is like in, so in like proximity to where we live, he was probably like eight hours from where we live. That's how close he was for two weeks. And it's just like one of those things like you, you can't go. You can't, I can't just pack up my kids and go see him as much as I wanted to. Like that spectacle alone would have just been crazy. And it just would have been hectic and it wouldn't have been like the same because we couldn't actually get to enjoy him like we wanted to. So it just would have been even more difficult. So it's like you just, you're waiting. In the first deployment, we had to wait a week, I think. And so, yeah, you're, you're waiting, you know, that they're coming home. And so their coming home date isn't actually their coming home date. It's their going to the base date and then, and then coming home date. And, um, yeah, but we still, I think the coolest part is that we still get to do like that. They get to march in. So we still get to see that kind of ceremony that we get to see, um, active duty do. So I like that. I kind of feel, it makes us feel like we're kind of still part of active duty. I think like kind of that. I don't want to say real because I feel like that's such a hard term, but like that we actually are part of the military. Like even though we're a national guard that we're actually like, we're actually a part of it and still like in doing it just like active duty is doing it kind of. Now, has he been national guard the whole time or was he inactive before that? No, he's been national guard the whole time. So we actually have um, friends that have helped us out since the beginning. Um, his one of our good friends, he was actually active duty and now he's National Guard. So that helped us a lot because um, he was able to kind of guide us. But Cody didn't want to do active duty from the beginning. He wanted to do National Guard. So we've been active uh, National Guard this whole entire time. 
So talk a little bit about what your experience is like as a National Guard spouse. It is so hard um, in a lot of different areas. So one of the hardest things I think is um, when, when they deploy, if they want to surprise you, then they don't put your name on the, um, on the information list for the rest of, basically so like your FRG can't get a hold of you. So if the soldier wants to surprise his wife at the end of deployment, they won't put you on that list. So then you don't hear from your FRG at all. Because then your FRG, because usually your FRG is sending you out information and, you know, like when they're coming home and all of this stuff. So if the soldier's trying to surprise their wife, then you have zero contact the whole entire time with your FRG, which is, <laughs> which like basically cuts off your foot, right? Like you've lost all contact with that world. Like you have, you have nothing. Um, but so like basically the FRG is usually wherever the base is, like the head FRG person is usually wherever the base is at. And so I've never actually met the FRG um, or anyone in the FRG, um, mostly because they're like me, they're National Guard spouses and some of them live close to the base and others don't, you know, and so we don't actually like have a chat group or a Facebook group where we just like hang out. Like that stuff doesn't exist for us. Um, so we're really cut off from that kind of, from that world. We don't have those resources. My, my kids go to a civilian school. They don't have other military kids, um, that they can relate to, which is really hard, especially for my oldest. Now that my oldest is getting to that point in life where he's really recognizing what it takes to be a military family. So that's been really, really hard for him. Not having, not being able to connect with other kids and you know, we tell them all the time that we're not the only military family, but I think sometimes that's kind of harder to explain because they do feel like they're the only military family because we're not surrounded by families. You know, it's just, it's difficult. That comes with a lot of, um, you're, you're kind of isolated in a way, like you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of resources. And the only time that you do hear about the resources is whenever we have yellow ribbon events which are usually before and after the deployment. But even then, that's like, those are, they're done with the best intentions, right? Like giving you all of the resources. Like here's all these resources and these booths and here are all these vendors and like this is all the stuff that's available to you. And it's so overwhelming because you're sitting in a room with all of these people that your husband just deployed with or about to deploy with before and after, you know, their deployment and they're just throwing resources at you. And you're like, I, like, I have no idea what's going on. Like he's about to leave. So this is where my mind is. And I'm freaking out. And for some of these, you know, spouses, this is your first time and they're about to do it completely by themselves. And then when they come home, you're like, well, they're already home. Like, I don't know what I need. I'm just trying to survive reintegration. And so it's like all these resources and you're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to begin. And so I remember going to my, my first deployment the first time and it was so overwhelming. Like no one, no one, I was thankful because we had, a, we had other friends that went on the deployment with him, but no one was there to, to talk me through any of it. I was basically on my own. Um, everything that I have 
learned up until this point has just been going through this many deployments at this point. So it's just kind of, it's kind of it sad is, that it way. Is. And I hate that um, so many National Guard and Reserve spouses feel so disconnected and don't have those resources. And as you were talking, it reminds me of that whole talk on Maslow's Ladder and how, you know, that um, I'll have to link that episode in this one, but thinking about how you know, yes. when you're going through a big change like that, you're at the bottom rung. You're you're surviving, like you said, and you're thinking about just how, how do I make sure yeah. that I get everybody fed and everybody survives, and I get to bed tonight. Yep. Like that's the only thing I can think about. And so yes. it's the worst time to try yes. to give everybody resources because they're not thinking of what yep. they need help with yet, or or reaching out for that help because right. everything that they're needing right then in the moment is like I can handle feeding everybody and getting myself to bed. I'm not at that point yet. Exactly. Hi everyone, Corey here. You know, I love superheroes and one of my favorite things to do is to lead service couples and individuals through strengths coaching. Kind of like discovering you have superpowers, you would be amazed at what you've been created to do. You just may not know it yet. I've led hundreds if not thousands through their strengths journey and I've seen couples increase communication, reduce conflict, and my favorite is when I see a military or first responder spouse finding their identity again after years of revolving around the service lifestyle. Strengths coaching can be done online and is not counseling, so we can work together regardless of where you are today or are going tomorrow. As a certified Gallup Strengths Coach, I can help you see your worth again and even help you see your spouse with new eyes. Head on over to life-giver.org and go to work with Corey to schedule your first session. I'm giving all of my listeners 15% off their first session with me just to try it out. Simply use the promo code FIRST at checkout. Thanks for listening and thanks for spreading the word about the podcast. You know, back 2009, 2010, you know, like we'd have our whole neighborhood deploy at the same time, pretty much. And that doesn't happen quite as much anymore. Yeah. But when you're living close to the installation or on the installation, you get to know because you're going to those FRG events, or you're going to other events like a ball or um, whatever, right? You get to know the spouses of the of those that your husband or your service spouse is friends with, right? So you you get to know other families that are going through it with you. And as your serving spouse is kind of building these relationships with battle buddies, you kind of get to know their spouse back at home. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how, you know, you showing up to this welcome home ceremony or even the deployment where they're leaving and everybody's driving from hours from who knows where, you're not really getting to know the spouses. So I imagine your spouse coming home and he's made these lifelong friendships with these people that he's deployed with, and you probably don't know those wives. No, no, I, I mean, every time that he's been deployed, when they come home, I'm being introduced to not only the soldier, but the spouse of the soldier because I've never met her. We've had zero contact together the entire time that they've been gone. And so it is, it's this crazy experience where you're like, I have no idea who you are and I'm meeting you for the first time. And I think too, you know, to that end also, you know, my husband's has, has had a couple of people that he's been with for the last eight years. I just met them for the first time when he came back from his last deployment. And he's been with them for eight years, you know, and they have these sacred spaces and these bonds together. They've gone through all of these things together and seen things together and done things together. And, 
you know, they have these strong relationships and I'm just meeting them. It is the most craziest thing because they know him in some ways they know him better than I know him because of the experiences that they've gone through together. And it's, it's just the most surreal thing to experience and and to meet people for the first time that have known him for that long, or even just spent, you know, the last 11, 12 months with him for that long and, and meeting them for the first time. It's, yeah, it's an experience for sure. Not, not being in contact with anyone and, and having to meet him for the first time and be like, hi, I'm the wife, except you've been with him for the last 12 months. <laughs> and so that's, it's a, it's a different experience for well, sure. And I'm also, you know, and I'm, I do want to say that just because, you know, you live on an insulation or close to an insulation doesn't necessarily mean you're going to know all the, the spouses, right. Or that it's, it's not right. so unique, right. but uh, that's a huge, I mean, I'm, I've blown away in thinking about that and, and you not meeting them or seeing them or getting to know, um, maybe the spouse in eight years. And I know, I know you read sacred spaces, but it reminds me of the, the part of the book where I talk about how he had developed such a sacred space with the surgeon that he had been working with in the OR. And because that surgeon wasn't married at the time, I had never met him or, you know, been connected to him. And I had in my mind created this picture of the surgeon that, I mean, I was picturing a Samoan because I mean, about him as such like this amazing human being that saved lives and, and was funny and was just like this big hearted person. And, you know, and then I meet him and he's definitely not a Samoan, but that's the closest that I can in my mind relate to what you're saying. That is a huge, significant thing to have happen in your marriage. It's one thing to have these big separate experiences and sacred spaces that are happening where deployment has separated you but to not share in that relationship or to get to know that person or at least have the option. Maybe that's what we're talking about. The option to get to know that service member or if that service member is married, that spouse. Um, how have you handled that? Or how have you maybe, have you, have you figured out something to do now that you've experienced it so that that doesn't keep happening? Yeah. So as far as like handling it, I, I was thankful, like I said, our first deployment, the couple that we, that helped us get going, um, get my husband into the military and help us get going. They were with us the first deployment. Um, so our husbands deployed together. And so that was awesome because, um, for my friend, Sarah, that was her third deployment. So that was such a huge help to just be able to lean on her. My first deployment, um, and not knowing what I was doing and not knowing how to do any of it and doing it with the one month old baby. Um, and so that was such a huge comfort. We didn't, we didn't live close together. We lived about 35 minutes apart, but we would try and get together, you know, throughout that time. So that was a huge help. And all the times after that, honestly, just leaning on, it really is, you have to lean on the civilian side of life. Um, and I say that with so much, um, so much thankfulness in my heart because the civilian life and, and the people in the civilian side of life, they, they really do, in my experience, um, they really do want to help. Um, they really do um, try and understand. Um, I remember when Cody left for this last deployment, um, my employer at the time, um, the regional manager actually bought 
um, gave me, gifted me a gift card to take the kids out to go bowling, um, right for right after when my husband left. And that was such a like wonderful gift to be able to just take my kids to go do something to get their mind off of everything, you know, um, you know, my husband deploying. And so that was such a beautiful gift. Um, and I remember, you know, friends reaching out to do play dates to keep the kids busy and, you know, um, I'm fortunate, you know, I do get to have my family right here. And I know that's not something that, um, most active duty families get. So I am grateful that both my family and his family, you know, live within five miles of our house. And so, um, and that they're always willing to help and, and to step in and, and to take our kids to go do things and to events and running them around. And so, um, well, we don't get to lean on our military family at all. We do at least get to lean on our civilian family. And, and I have found that for the majority of them, they are willing to step in and help wherever they can, you know, and, and, and be sympathetic. Um, I think the hardest part is when you're really in the trenches, when you're, you know, at the beginning and even in the middle and at the end, the, just those pockets you know, when you're in deployment and where you're like, this just sucks and civilians can only understand it for so long. And yes, they're helpful and sympathetic, but only another spouse who's in the trenches gets that suck. Um, and so that's whenever I really miss it. That's when I really, really wish, um, in those moments that we were around, you know, other military families is just when you're in the trenches and you just need that, just like, sympathetic ear where you're like, I know what you're talking about. I know you're in the trenches, like you got it. Um, but for the most part, everybody in the civilian side, it's, it's so, it's so awesome to see them come together and be supportive. Even in my current job now, everybody just kind of rallies and just whatever you need, like we're here to help you do. And, you know, so it, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the civilians that I've been able to be surrounded by that have been helpful in, in our family. Perhaps a lot of that divide is because we get so much of our needs met in the military community that we don't reach out and ask for help from the civilian community as much. But maybe the lesson today that you're sharing is that they really are wanting to participate and wanting to help. Um, and that when you really need it and you ask for it, they show up and they're grateful to do it. We just maybe turn to our military community so often we don't get a, give our civilian community a chance to respond. For sure. Yeah. I think because they do their hearts and all the generosity, they're just so good at just like rallying behind and just not even just to ask what you need, but just like being willing to step in anywhere. Um, you know, my employer, now I get to work from home, um, you know, and I, I, that's such a huge gift, especially when my husband is, you know, coming and going and getting pulled to go um, quickly. It, it's such a huge gift to be able to have that flexibility, especially with my kids. Um, you know, that's not a gift that everybody gets to get. And um, yeah, I'm super grateful. I think definitely anytime we're not feeling the love or not feeling supported, even in our military community, the civilian side is definitely willing to step up and show up um, and be that support. Well, perhaps we also need to learn the lesson today that um, we need to make sure we know how to ask for help and to actually reach out to people and not wait for them to just think that we need the help. Um, I want to make sure I ask you, what have you learned as far as the sacred spaces side of things? You know, when you were talking about um, not having met these battle buddies for eight years, um, 
have you and Cody figured that out yet? Or is it something that you can even figure out as far as um, getting to know that side of him, especially when you're as disconnected as you are? Especially when he first comes home, he does a lot of debriefing where he, um, there are things that he communicates. I think one thing that I encourage, and then actually it was in an episode that Matt mentioned um, and that I took from him, it was just going and sitting and listening to him talk with his battle buddies and not, not even needing to be there to be in conversation, but to just listen. Um, and that's what I really took away when we went to this, um, when he got home and we had another yellow ribbon to do all the debrief, just listening to them talk. Um, because when we go and do those, it's usually a couple of months after they've gotten back from deployment. So they've already all gone home and debriefed and been with family and they're coming together. And really that's when they're, when they're coming together, that's when they're reminiscing because they've already been away for a couple of months and they've already missed it. Um, and they're already starting to miss being together and that camaraderie. So just this past time, getting to listen to the stories and the things that they were doing, that was such a huge help. And just seeing experiences from their eyes and what was sacred spaces to them. And in those moments, I really put myself just kind of in the backseat to listen at that moment and take on that moment and to just kind of listen instead of trying to be a part of the conversation um, and just kind of seeing what they went through, through, through their eyes and not, you know, trying to ask questions or be a part of the conversation. Cause I think sometimes just stepping back and like listening to those moments is more important than trying to be an active participant in those conversations. Um, and so we doing that. And then I think just listening when he needs to debrief and talk about things or not pushing when he doesn't, um, has been really helpful. Um, and then just in my own experiences, sometimes we just have, we would have conversations just about the stuff that I would go through with the kids. Um, because you do have sacred spaces at home and they just look a lot different. Um, but yeah, I think just kind of debriefing and even though it's not as climatic or as interesting as what they do, you still have those moments where it's chaotic. Um, you know, when he was gone this past time, potty training two little kids at one time, that's a sacred space. That's traumatic. Nobody else was, yeah, nobody else was in a, in that living in the bathroom with me for those like two days. So, you know, just explaining that experience and, and talking about those moments, you know, nobody, he wasn't there. So trying to explain what that was like for two days with a girl and a boy potty training them. So well, and the older that I'm getting, um, and the more that I've been having these conversations with um, so many families, the more I'm starting to realize that um, it, it, we do need more sacred spaces together as a couple, and we definitely need more shared experience together as a couple to counteract the separate ones. But I think I'm getting more and more comfortable and embracing the fact that we don't have to understand each other's um, experiences or sacred spaces as much as, as hard as we try to. And you, know, you talk about, you know, believe me, potty training, my second one was traumatic and it was not two days. Let me just tell you, not two days, but, um, 
you know, it's okay that no matter how much you explain that to your spouse, that they don't really fully get just how difficult that really was. And the older I'm getting, the more I'm starting to see that it's okay and very necessary for us as women to really find our tribe and our village of women and for the men to find that tribe and village of men. And that it's okay for those separate places because really you have to take that potty training experience to another mom or like you said, um, being able to reach out to another military spouse that understands what it's like to be in those trenches. Um, and that's where we need to get the support. And maybe that's what we need to, and it's okay to get that from somebody else other than our spouse, because that's where we're going to feel like we're hitting our head up against the wall, trying to get something that they can't give us and that that's okay. Right. Exactly. No, I totally agree. Sometimes even, you know, onto that note, there are some times where we just tell each other, I, I hear you and I see you and that's it. Like I may not understand. I may not like, I may not be able to sympathize, but like I hear you and I see you. And, um, and, and sometimes even whenever, you know, I get frustrated even now, like he'll tell me, I'm, I ask him, I'm like, do you see me? Because this is where I'm coming from. Like, this is no matter what it is, it could be anything, even kid related or work related. But I'm like, do you see me? Like, do you, like, are you aware of like that I'm in front of you, that I'm frustrated or whatever, or that I had this experience? And sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes we just tell each other, I see you. Like, I, I, like, I get it. I get it. Sierra, that is so powerful. I it mean, is how many powerful. Times in, it really is. I mean, how it many is. times in conversation do we talk about just wanting to be understood? And we talk yes. about a lot as two people fighting over who's going to feel understood first. But in the service community, there's just some things that we're not going to understand about each other. Maybe like a civilian couple that's there, you know, most days out of the week, other than work hours, we're I mean, you really stereotyping. We have a lot of people in this civilian community that doctors, um, people who travel for their job, who experience, you know, some middle ground here, but just to be have a stereotype here, you know, when there's so much that we're not going to understand, like it's one thing to potty train, a, let's say I'm going to speak for myself, a very challenging child for you know, 24 hours. Um, and another thing to say, I had to potty train day after day after day, and it's going on a week or so. And I'm really hitting my breaking point of patience and grace and still having to push through that. And, and it's so powerful what you're saying that if we can maybe even take the need to feel understood off the table and instead just see each other, that seeing each other is actually um, more intimate than being understood because understood is in your head, right? Yeah, yeah. no, to totally. See the other person is a much no. more intimate experience. Right, you're right. And just to see that the other person is frustrated or upset or whatever, just acknowledging those emotions, acknowledging that I... I, I, I see that you're frustrated. I get that you're angry. I see that you're angry. I see you. And, and, and sometimes that's, it. that's just it. It just stops kind of the cop, not the conversation, but just kind of like, as like, okay, like I feel so much better because at least you see me, if nothing else, you see me and I'm good. <laughs> so we don't need to keep going. You so you see me, we're good. We can move on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. It, that makes it easier being seen instead of being 
Well, and when I was overseas and I was talking with um, one of the service members overseas, he was saying that one of the best things that he learned in his second marriage was when the spouse at home could tell him what was going on, but then turn to those around them for support because there were so many things he couldn't do, right? That that's not what the marriage is for during a deployment. And so what have you found? Um, you said you turned to family for that support. What happens after you talk with Cody and he says he sees you and you feel seen? You know, what do you do then? I actually, this, um, the last deployment, because I learned from the first few. And so this last one, I think I, not that I did like great. There's always ways that I could do things better, especially now that my kids are getting older. But I think, um, you know, on the next long one, whenever that will be, I think this is how I'm going to start the next one too. But the one thing that I did, this last one is right at the beginning, the day he left, I got into therapy. If nothing else to be able to for the first few weeks, months, and actually I did it for the first four months, to just be able to bounce life off of someone that was not here, that was not, that didn't know me, that didn't like just someone completely third party. Um, and I did that for a while just to kind of give myself some grace um, and to, to have someone else to bounce life off of because not everybody, because not everybody understands and because family can only go so far in understanding and civilians can only go so far in understanding. And while everybody has great intentions, sometimes you just need to be able to bounce life off of someone else. Um, that's completely out of the pocket of your circle, your inner circle. And that was one of the greatest gifts and blessings that I had given myself in that time, because it really just gave me another outlet and really just gave me someone to to kind of bounce life off of for a little bit um, and really put me on the right foot for the rest of the deployment as far as like just being able to think clearly because when he first left, I, I just remember feeling so jumbled in my head because I was like, um, you know, I with the kids and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I'm just like thinking so far ahead and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do and I've got to do this like for the next and I've got to do it all by myself. And I had so many thoughts going through my head that I was just like, I have so much to do for the next whatever until he comes back by myself with all three kids. What am I going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to make it work? And I just remember in the first few days, the, um, the lady that I was talking to, she was like, breathe. That's what you're going to do. But the next week, you're just going to breathe and you're not going to do anything else. Um, and then after that, she just gave me tips on how to just basically in some ways just survive. And I remembered one of the ones that um, she was just basically like, you know, come up with things that you can make it easier on yourself. And I remember one of the things that I did for the whole entire deployment was I did not put their laundry in their drawers, in their dresser. The whole entire deployment, I put them in bins and I was just like, and here you go. I'm not, I'm not hanging it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like, it's lucky it's getting folded, but it was, they all had them in bins and it was in there and like their underwear and their socks, I just threw it in there. And I'm like, this is how we're just going to go. Cause I'm not going to put my energy into like making sure that it was so perfect and that it's all together and it's you know, all nice and neat. And so I did, I just, I got them little bins and just threw it in there. And that's what I did for 12 months. And I didn't give it a second thought after that. And that's how I survived. But 
if I hadn't gone and talked to someone, if I hadn't put those steps in motion, I probably would have worried about that stuff for a long time and tried to figure out how I was going to get it all done by myself and just giving myself the grace to say, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect for the next however long. And I'm just going to have to figure out ways to make it easy for me and for them. And so I did, I just kept finding ways to do little tricks for the rest of the time and just give myself the grace to just say, So, so important. And somebody listening and is needing to hear that because they are trying to do it all. And one of the pet peeves that I have um, is in the community when we, when people say that when somebody deploys, that they should be expected to be both the mom and the dad, or that your family and the way that it's running is, shouldn't look different. Like it's, there's one whole big person missing, you know? That is usually there to help with any number of things, hopefully, right? And so um, I know we are facing an upcoming deployment as well. And I've it's been a while since he's deployed. And so I'm thinking about all the things that I should have learned by now from as many interviews and people that I've talked to. And even though I have teenagers, one of the things that I've been thinking about is giving myself the permission to this time, because I didn't do it in the other deployments. And I don't know why. This time actually going to have somebody come clean my house once a month, I think. And I, and I'm starting to think about that now because I know I don't prepare myself. I'll say, I don't need it. I have two teenagers that should be able to help me out. But honestly, I'd rather have a better relationship with my teenagers than, um, than stressing and yelling at them about chores. No, a hundred percent. My mom, thankfully I, when he was deployed, there were probably like three or four times a week where my mom would help make dinner because I was, I was in for the first part of deployment, I was still working at one job, um, that I was in the office and I wasn't getting home until six, six 30. My kids were going to bed by seven 30 cause they had school the next morning. So I had an hour and to see them. And so it was just like this crazy rush and doing all these things. And she would cook dinner for me three to four times a week. And I just had to take that grace and say, I can't do it without help in some form or fashion. There's no way I'm going to, and I would have much rather had it that way than like you said, be running around trying to do it all by myself and trying to make it work. And, you know, even now, there's no medal we get at the end of this, right? by the way. Right. <laughs> and by the way, I, even though I potty, I potty trained Lily, daughter, I potty trained her in two days. My other son, however, it sounds like I did it in two days. No, it, I don't, that doesn't discredit the six months leading up to those two days. So he took forever. He took six months. And then I finally like, was like, dude, <laughs> your sister cannot be, your sister is younger than you. She will not be in underwear. You will be in underwear too. This has been going on for way too long. But even just that, like just taking, like focusing and saying like, look, this is what we're going to do, children. We need you to get you, get you on board. As small as you are, you got, got to work with me here. Um, but you know, the other thing that worked is we didn't count down with our kids. We, what we did is I decided that every month for the time that he was gone, we were going to celebrate making it, surviving. So we called it, we did it day. And we celebrated and we would go do something fun. Um, I took him to Six Flags one time. That was our very first time going. Um, one other time I went, took him to Chuck E. Cheese. Sometimes we just go see a movie. Sometimes it was just to the park. Um, you know, sometimes it was letting them build a fort in the house and sleeping in it for two days. Um, you know, just something. Love right? that. Yes, because... 
I, I, here's why I did it is because my friend that we, that we did the first, that I did the first deployment with, um, her daughter was four and she made a paper chain for the whole deployment and she wanted to cry. I remember getting a text from her and saying, this was a terrible idea. I am like over 200 days in and we're still not close to being done. Um, don't ever do this idea. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm not counting down. We will not count down. We will just simply celebrate. And that's what we did. It, so it gave me and it gave them something to look forward to um, and something to be excited about every single month. And then we, um, we had a wall in our house called the brag wall. And every time they did something awesome at school or we did something, I did something, anything like could be something as small as like, Oh, you know, leave. I got a great note at school today. And then I wrote the date and I just hung it on our wall and we just celebrated as much as we possibly could the big things and the small things, because sometimes you just have to reset your mind and give yourself some perspective and focus on those things, especially when they're that long. And so, yeah, those are the things that we did and that's how I survived. And I think for the next one, that's what we'll do too. We'll do those things for the next one too. Such a great, great idea. I'm so glad I'm doing this interview because I'm getting all these ideas. <laughs> you should do it. So worth it. So worth um, it. So I think I remember you went to school during one of the deployments, didn't you? Yeah, this last deployment. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did. I Talk about um, why you decided to go back to school, especially to try to do that through a deployment. I hear from spouses all the time who are trying to figure out how they can do something for themselves and take care of themselves, even though this life is pretty stressful. Yeah. So I, um, the, whenever I was doing a job switch halfway through the deployment, um, I, so I'm, I'm in the commercial real estate industry. Um, my job does not require me to have my degree. It's something that I've always wanted initially when I was younger, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and then as I've gotten older and got into other industries, especially commercial real estate, I decided that this is where I want to be. And so, um, my actually I'm still in school right now. So the, um, the degree I'm going for is in organizational leadership. And I really love it because it really is, it's about leaders and about being leaders and looking at leaders and leadership altogether, which, um, I just find fascinating, but I decided to do it because it's just always been something that's on my mind and on my heart. And it's something that I always just wanted to accomplish for myself. And I think one of the things that Empowered Spouses Retreat taught me is that my life doesn't end or doesn't stop just because we do have to revolve around him and how often he leaves and how often he comes back. And that's what it really just taught me. It just taught me like you can still go do and focus on you and do things for yourself, no matter what that looks like. Um, whether it's, you know, um, getting into working out, um, if that's your thing, your passion that you love, whatever your passion is, you can still do those things. Um, and so that's why I did it because that's what it, going on that retreat taught me was just, you can still pursue passions despite what, you know, despite the fact that we live this lifestyle. 
I'm so proud of you. And I remember watching you go through that. And I know that that was not easy during Mm -hmm. a deployment with small children. And um, it was just inspiring to watch you. Thank you. So before we close out, um, if there's a National Guard spouse that's maybe listening, or if you would like to even say something to the active duty community that's listening, or I mean, you know, there's first responders listening. I'm just adding to the list. Like pick (laughs) all of them. But um, what what would you say to somebody to encourage them today, especially in trying to understand the, the National Guard lifestyle just a little bit better? Um, that we, you know, that we live this lifestyle just like yours looks a little bit different um, because we do get to live close to family. But really, truly, we do live this lifestyle and we do feel the deployments and, and uh, we do feel that sense of loss when they deploy just as much as um, just as much as they do, we understand what that looks like and how hard it is. Um, we go in the trenches too, and um, you know that we're out here and that we do exist. Um, and uh, that sometimes, you know, just reaching out to those that are National Guard spouses makes all the difference in the world. Because yeah, we do kind of kind of feel like this like stepchildren. You know that old saying. We, you know, we were kind of out there, but, uh, and what would you say to a national guard spouse that's maybe feeling isolated and alone right now? Um, that's kind of going through the same thing that you've gone through. I would say just to, um, lean on your civilian family, but also, you know, get help wherever help is offered. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help, but also, um, to find organizations that support military spouses like the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, Independent, who's also doing their wellness summit this week, um, you know, and meeting other spouses that way because they're, they are out there and they're everywhere. Um, you know, military spouses are out there and are willing to talk to you. And so to find, find um, camaraderie through those organizations for sure um, so that they can connect you with other military first responder spouses. Sierra, it's so, so amazing to see you and to have you on the podcast. You have like given a wealth of information and wisdom and um, it's hard to not hear your voice and just feel like your day has just gotten a little bit brighter. So thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you're feeling especially grateful, head on over to patreon.com forward slash life giver or find the link in today's show notes where for just a couple of dollars, you can help breathe life into more service families. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.